Have you ever had uh, those nagging doubts that come with not being completely sure about something? Have you ever had those nagging doubts? You're 99% sure that you've packed everything you need. And you get a great deal of comfort from that 99%, don't you? But it's far outweighed. It seems to be always far outweighed by that 1% of discomfort, that 1% that comes from the uncertainty, perhaps, of not having everything. Now, I can really well recall that feeling of uncertainty uh, a couple of years ago when I was uh, the coach of a soccer team and I had to organise the boys to get to a match and uh, take all their gear. And as I was driving from the school to the match, I had this feeling that something was missing and it was a troublesome feeling. You might have felt it. But I must tell you that um, that feeling quickly got put to rest. When I got to the field, I walked onto the pitch and I met the, uh, the referee. And he uh, said a couple of words to me which brought that 1% back, that 1% of uncertainty when he said, so have all the boys got their shin pads? And I can still remember looking at him. I stood there and I saw him with his aviator glasses that were a bit too big for his head. He had his black referee kit, complete with his socks that were pulled up, and his funny little black hat. And I can remember his emotionless face and the four-word response that he gave to me that came in this very thick Italian accent. He said to me, No shin pads, no play. And as I drove my car back to the school, yes, that 1% came back to haunt me, that 1% of uncertainty. Now, just changing gears here slightly, I'd like to say that that uncertainty is something that I also experienced uh, with God. I was someone who believed in God. In fact, if you'd asked me, I'd say that I was 99% sure that, uh, yeah, that I was right with God, that things were fine between God and I. But you know what? It was that 1% again. It was that 1% of uncertainty that really bothered me. What about you? Are you like that? Do you believe in God, perhaps? A lot of Australians do. Do you believe in God, but lack that 100% certainty that you're right with God? Well, wouldn't it be good to put away that 1% nagging doubt and to be completely sure that all is well between you and God. Well, as I said, for me personally, I was just hoping for the best. Hoping for the best, but at the same time, I'm one of those guys who doesn't always like things that are sort of uh, left unfinished. I like to tie up loose ends. And I didn't want to just hang around with this kind of misguided hope, this vague, you know, pie in the sky, hope that, that things were right between God and I. I wanted to move on to... Um, have something called assurance. Now, when we use the word hope in our language, uh, have you noticed it's actually a bit different to the way that the Bible uses the word hope? When the Bible uses the word hope, it's speaking of something that's of a, a sure certainty. Uh, that's, it's, if you like, a concrete reality. Now, let me show you that from um, Romans chapter 5, verse 2. I'll read out the verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Hopefully this will illustrate my point more clearly. 
Paul says in Romans 5 verse 2, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, is rejoicing an appropriate response if there's no certainty? Of course it isn't. Rejoicing is an appropriate response if something's sure. So in this case, the hope is the certainty, the certainty of sharing in God's glory. But that's not the way that we, we use the word hope in our societies. Generally, when we're talking about hope, we're, we're talking about someone, someone who says, I hope to win lotto next week. It's that kind of long shot. Well, that's, that's exactly the kind of hope that I didn't want to have. I didn't want to have the kind of the long shot hope. I wanted to have the certainty. I wanted to be certain that I was right with God. I wanted to be certain that God loved me. But I wanted to know also whether that assurance, that kind of assurance, was really possible for me. And is it possible for you also? Well, today's passage is a a wonderful passage. Uh, It's got a great tone of um, rejoicing in it. So let's have a look and uh, turn now to uh, see what this passage says about the kind of assurance that we'd, we'd love to have. My first point is that we can be sure that God loves us. That's my first important point. We can be sure that God loves us. And I'd like to show you that from the passage. So if you kindly turn with me and have a look at uh, verses 6 through to 8, I'll read them out. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now these verses are great verses because they teach us about how God showed his love to us. And the point here is that uh, when we were still sinners, the Bible uses the word sinners, but uh, that, that same kind of idea comes up later in the passage and it's a relational idea. Else, Later in verse 10 we're told that being a sinner is the same as being an enemy with God. Okay, It's, a, it's an idea of broken fellowship, that a relationship has been betrayed, we've betrayed it, but even when we were sinners or God's enemies. Uh, the point is in the passage that even then, Jesus died for us. That's to say that God didn't actually wait for the world to shape up and get its act together before he sent his son into the world. Jesus came into the world and he died for the world's sins uh, while the world was hostile towards God. Many of you might remember the um, massacre that took place in Port Arthur. It's not a very nice thought to sow into your minds at this point in time, but it it might help us to understand this passage. One of the points which um, was noted in that Port Arthur massacre was how uh, husbands and fathers uh, went and dived to protect their family. They, They attempted 
to shield their family from the damage which was being inflicted by Martin Bryant. Now, if you think about that little scenario, I don't know about the list of people that you'd be prepared to stand in front of bullets for. <clears throat> but at the same time, I must uh, admit that I'd, I'd expect that there wouldn't be even too many friends on that list. There probably wouldn't even be too many friends that you'd be willing to sort of stand in front of bullets for. Probably some family members, but probably not too many friends. Now, if you take that and think about uh, your enemies, can you be, imagine yourself dying for your enemies? Think about the person uh, who might have broken into your car. Think about the person who you know they don't like you. Or think about the person who might have insulted you or worse still, someone that you love dearly. Now, can you imagine yourself diving to cover them in a, in a massacre like that? I wouldn't have thought so. But Romans 5 verse 8 tells us about God's love for us and it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, enemies with God, Christ died for us. And so that's my first important point. Because Jesus died for us, we can be sure that God loves us. Because Jesus died for us, we can be sure that God loves us. My second point is similar to the first, but we're told that through Jesus, we can be sure that we're right with God. Through Jesus, we can be sure that we're right with God. Let me show you from the passage again. Uh, I'll read out verses 9 through 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The great verses. Paul's telling us that we get right with God. He uses a, a legal term. Peter Moore might know much, a bit more about this term than I do, but the term justified he uses. Uh, and it's the idea that someone's been acquitted. They've been declared not guilty. And it happens through the blood of Jesus. In these verses, Paul tells us that we've been reconciled to God. Uh, here's the idea of being made friends. And it happens through the blood of Jesus. And that this great reality that we're declared not guilty and that we're made friends with God is both a present reality and it's a future reality. Now, Paul's using quite a special way of speaking here. It's a, it's a little bit um, a twisted, isn't it? You're sort of going through a few things and there's plenty of ideas coming across. It's a special way of speaking. He's using what's called, there's a technical name, I've forgotten it, but it's a, if this, how much more that type argument. If I said to you, um, if you think I'm bald... How much more do you think Peter Garrett's bald? You'll be getting the picture. 
Except in this example, uh, Paul's actually moving uh, from the major thing that God does to the minor thing. Sorry for sowing that seed of um, thought about Peter Garrett there. There's probably a bit too much information, wasn't there? But here we're moving from the major thing that God does to the minor thing that God does. It's a funny, it's a funny way of um, expressing himself, really, because Paul's not really saying we can be more saved than saved. But what he is saying is that God, if he's already done the hard thing now, which was to make his enemies his friends, you know, if when we were his enemies, he sent his son to die for us, well, how much more easy is it for God to have his friends over to his place in heaven later on when we die, when we face him? If he's done the hard thing, it's in a sense, uh, for those of you who are bike riders, this is, this is like uh, riding up the hill. This is the hard bit, God making his enemies his friends. If he's done that, how much more in the future is it easy for God to have his friends live in, live in heaven with him forever? That's, that's more like the, um, the ride around a lagoon for God. That's the easy bit. No hills there. Let me show you from these verses. Verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by Jesus' blood. That's a current reality. Now we have been justified. And verse 10, For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. That's the current reality. Paul then goes on to say, in verse 9, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? And in verse 10, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So my second point is that through Jesus, we can be sure that we're right with God. Through Jesus, we can be sure that we're right with God. Well, that almost feels like the end of the talk, doesn't it? Um, it's not. It sounds like uh, there's a lot of relief to be had there and things are all stitched up. Uh, we can face this great future without any more uncertainty, no more nagging doubts. In fact, we can be sure that when we get to heaven, uh, if we've got our trust in the Lord Jesus, we, we know that he loves us and we know that we can be right with God. Uh, when we get to heaven, we can look to God and we know one thing God's not going to say is no Jesus no play God's not going to say that to us we can say goodbye to that wretched one percent of uncertainty because of what Jesus has done but before we get too carried away we've got to have a look more carefully at the passage and see who it is that these great realities are for if you like uh, there was a us mentioned in verse 8 did you see that there's an us. God demonstrates his own love for us. Who's the us? And in verse 9, there's a we. For if when we were God's enemies, well, who's the we? Well, Paul actually answers this question uh, earlier on in the passage. In Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 1, if you'll kindly have a look at that verse also, we're told that, this is true for those who have their faith in Jesus. In 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. This hope, these great realities, they're only real uh, for those who, if you like, accept the gift. It's, uh, we only lay hold of it, this, this deep truth of being right with God, through faith. And that's the idea of, um, of trusting in the work that Jesus has done. He's done the job. He's, he's paid for our sins with his blood. But it becomes a reality for us as we trust that through faith. It sounds quite simple, doesn't it? But that's what it says. There it is in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We've been justified through faith. And so as we uh, look, look towards the future, we, we can uh, see the hope that Paul's bringing to our attention now. There's a, bright, there's a bright future. There's a bright hope. It's a certainty. Christ died for us. And so we can be sure that God loves us. We can see that in history 2,000 years ago. It's a clear reality. If you're ever tempted to think that, that God doesn't love you, look back at the cross and you can see it. We've been declared not guilty, or if you like, we've been made friends with God, and so we know that we can be sure that we're right with God. And we can take hold of these great realities through faith. If you're a person who hasn't yet come to that point where uh, you have taken hold of this, this, these deep truths about being right with God and being sure of, of your hope with God forever then let me uh, encourage you, even today, don't pass this opportunity up. If you haven't come yet to a, a point of personal trust in the Lord Jesus, well, I'd, I'd want to stand here and, and persuade you to change your mind. I think uh, it'd be good for you to put, be, sort of, in a sense, put out of your misery about a hope, hope to come. Uh, I'd want to encourage you to say, don't let this opportunity go past. Grab, grab, it with both grab it with both hands while you can. If you're a person who um, already has their trust in the Lord Jesus, well, my advice to you is, is a little bit different. And it's the advice that comes from the Apostle Paul, and it's found in verse 11. So let's have a look at verse 11. Paul says, we should keep on dwelling on this hope that we have. He says... We should rejoice. That's our instruction. If we have this hope, we should rejoice in verse 11, in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So if you're a person who has that hope, rejoice in it. If you're a person who hasn't yet come to this faith in the Lord Jesus, don't miss out on this wonderful hope which we can hold on to. A hope that one day... We'll be God's friends forever. I'm going to close in, word, in a word of prayer now. Father in heaven, we do thank you that Jesus died for us and so we can be sure that you love us. And Father, we do thank you that we get brought back into relationship with you through his blood, that we're declared not guilty any longer, that we are reconciled to you as friends. And thank you that that gives us an assurance that we are right with you both now and in the future. 
And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.